You can turn to page 8 of your bulletin. Uh, How great were those baptisms? That was so special and so fun uh, to get to do that this morning. Um, We're so grateful to God for that. Um, We're going to continue our series in the book of Acts this morning. You'll find the scripture printed on page 8. Acts is in the New Testament. It's just after the four Gospels. Um, So you can find it. It's towards the back of your Bible. If you have a Bible, it would actually be helpful to turn there this morning. A portion of our text is printed in the bulletin. A portion is not. Um, I'm going to reference other parts that are, that are not printed in the bulletin as well. So whether it's on a phone or in an actual Bible, um, it'd be good to have that out. Um, so Acts gives us this historic account uh, of the Holy Spirit working through the apostles to gather and grow the early church. And this happens even to the ends of the earth. And we've said each week that we here at Resurrection are beneficiaries of the New Testament church being gathered together and growing even to the ends of the earth. We're a product of that here this morning. Um, And as we go through this series in Acts, we're not going to be able to cover uh, every chapter and every verse. That would be amazing if we could. Uh, It would be a very, very rich and very long series if we did that. Uh, But we're going to hit some highlights throughout the book of Acts. And Acts chapter 1 verse 8 serves as the theme verse for the entire book of Acts. And it's telling us that God is going to send disciples out to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And in chapters 6 and 7 in Acts, we are moving outward. We're seeing this ha- actually happen. We're moving outward from Jerusalem. And you're especially going to see that at the conclusion of our passage this morning. And thinking about our text in particular this morning... Um, It is really difficult for us to understand how offensive uh, the story of Jesus and his resurrection would have been to many devout Jews during this time. It's really hard because a lot of us have just sort of heard this since we were young. And it doesn't seem countercultural or shocking to many of us. But for these devout Jews in this day, it would have been exactly that. And so Acts is full of very confrontational speeches and sermons about how many of these Jewish people, God's Old Testament people, totally missed Jesus. They totally missed him. And they're actually responsible for killing him. It says multiple times in Acts. So it's very confrontational for them to hear this. And so you'll see a lot of rioting happen in the book of Acts. And you'll see a rise in persecution beginning to happen throughout Acts. Uh, And our passage this morning highlights this very thing with Stephen. Uh, I'm going to read what's printed in the bulletin, but I'll reference his speech and some of the after effects that are not listed in your bulletins. This is uh, portions from Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter 7. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. And some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians, And of those from Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. For they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against his holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place 
and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. At this portion in the scriptures, Stephen makes his speech before them. And then we'll pick up at the end of his speech, Acts 7, 51. This is Stephen speaking here. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. The word of the Lord. Father, we do thank you for your word. And Father, as we enter into a weighty topic like persecution, like someone being murdered for believing in you and for preaching the good news of your son. Father, give us the grace of your Holy Spirit to understand your word. Would you be at work in our hearts during this time? Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to believe. And Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, so a few years ago, I was with a pastor friend. Uh, he's from Idaho. We were in Wyoming together um, in the mountains for this retreat. And uh, we were doing some hiking and trail running together. And we just were captivated with the beauty of the mountains and these trees. And we were talking about it as we were running um, through the forest. And this was at the time where there were a lot of forest fires going on in that direction. This was a few years ago. And so we got on the topic of forest fires, and he said, um, where he lives in Idaho, in the mountains, um, what to do with forest fires is an incredibly controversial thing. It's really controversial. I was like, well, that sounds bizarre. Um, tell me about that. And so basically, um, it's controversial because forests need fire. They actually need fire for the health of the forest. They need to be burned. So the controversy comes around, what do we do with forest fires? Do we put them out? Do we not put them out? Do we try to do controlled burns? Do we not do controlled burns? And like every other thing in our world, it gets political and controversial. And so people can't decide out west what to do about this problem with these fires. And so I looked this up and I found this article that, that talks about forest fires in Canada. And it said that forest fires are actually crucial to the forest renewal as much as like sun and rain are. They're just as important. Um, we all know trees need rain and sun to survive. This was saying that forest fires are just as important. Why? It says that forest fires release valuable nutrients in the litter 
as they burn it on the forest floor. And as they burn, they actually open up the canopy of the trees to let in more sunlight into the forest. And there are certain types of pine, pine trees that the only way these pine cones will open up and release their seed is if they're exposed to the heat of fire. And so it has to be burned to release this seed for the new life to happen. So this is like one of the great paradoxes of the natural world around us. Something like a forest fire that seems so devastating is actually crucial to the health and renewal of the forest. What happens to Stephen in our passage, uh, to see the church persecuted, seems so devastating. But many times in the history of Acts and the history of the church, God actually uses the devastation of persecution as a way towards growth and renewal in his kingdom. And it's so upside down. Uh, But the way forward in the kingdom often involves persecution. And this is a theme that runs throughout Scripture, and it's one that we actually feel personally in our lives. Uh, Following Jesus means embracing this downward arc of suffering and struggle and hardship and setback. And somehow, in the mystery of God's kingdom, this is the path forward. Uh, We share in the sufferings of the one that we follow. And somehow this leads to our renewal. So here's how I want to think about this passage this morning. I just want to ask two questions during our time together. What did he say and what was the response? What did Stephen say and what was the response? First, what did he say? Um, All right, so in the bulletin we have uh, the setup to Stephen's speech and then the reaction to it. But we don't have the speech itself printed. Why? Because it's really long. (laughs) It's a long speech. It's the longest one recorded in Acts, actually. Um, Acts is 30% preaching. 30% of Acts is sermons and preaching. And Stephen's is the longest. So I would encourage you to read it later on. But I'll try to summarize it for us now. Um, But before we dig into some of the themes of his speech, who was Stephen? Who was the, the one speaking? So we get a little window into who he was just before our passage We read that Stephen was one of uh, seven chosen to serve these Hellenist widows. Uh, There are these widows that had very practical needs that needed to be met. And the disciples were meeting these needs, but they were realizing for them to do this practical work, they weren't able to preach and teach uh, like they were tasked to do. And so they appointed seven men um, to care for these practical needs the disciples could preach and teach. And so Stephen uh, was one of the first mentioned that was set aside to do this. Uh, Luke describes Stephen as a man as uh, a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. And then at the very beginning of our passage in our text, Stephen is described being full of grace and power. It says he was doing great wonders and signs among the people. So he was tasked to meet these practical needs of the widows, but also continued with his gift of preaching and teaching. And clearly he was gifted in that and still very much active doing that. And he was publicly preaching and teaching about Jesus in our passage. And so, so much so that he upset those who were listening, those who belonged to this synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and these others who had gathered around. So that's who he was. What did he say? Um, what was, how can we summarize this? The reason that, that he was giving this speech in Acts chapter 7 
um, was because his audience, and you saw this in our passage, had intentionally and falsely accused him, uh, saying that it says that they, what, secretly instigated. They stirred people up. They set up false witnesses. And so they capture him and they bring him before the Sanhedrin, which would have been the top religious council at the time. And so, kids, maybe to give you a, a corollary example, it would be like one of your classmates making something up about you, saying you did something really bad when maybe you didn't actually do that thing. And, and then you, you end up in the principal's office and you have to like give a defense for what you did. And the cards are stacked against you as you're sitting in the principal's office. So his speech, Stephen's speech, is in response to these false accusations. In our passage, verses 13 and 14, it's, uh, they say, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place. They're referring to the temple there. And the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And what does Stephen say in response? He gives a flyover recap of pretty much all of Israel's history in the Old Testament. And that's the part that's not in your bulletin. But he recounts the story of Abraham. And Joseph, he retells the story of Moses. He spends a lot of time retelling the story of Moses, probably because that's the very thing they were accusing him of doing, of blaspheming against Moses and of God. He talks about David. He talks about Solomon. He talks about the Old Testament prophets. And he recaps all this history of their fathers to this Jewish religious council, the ones who are supposed to know this inside and out. He's recounting it to them. And the point he draws out from each of these accounts is that Israel, God's chosen people, had rejected God time and time again. Uh, that their history is not a successful one. The Old Testament is not a story of heroes. Kids, as you read a children's Bible at home, the Old Testament is not a story of heroes. It is a story of God's people failing again and again and rejecting God in these different ways and God constantly showing grace and mercy and rescuing his people time and time again. Stephen tells them that their family history is one of rejecting God. And then in our passage, verse 51, where we picked up the reading, he says very controversially to them, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears. So circumcision was their covenant sign. And just like with baptism, we have to embrace it in your heart, believe it to be true for yourself, own your faith as your own. Same was true with circumcision. Just because you had the physical sign of circumcision, you still had to be what they would call circumcised in the heart. You had to embrace God's covenant promises in their heart. And he's telling them, you don't really have a covenant relationship with God. He's saying that to God's covenant people. You're uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit. What did they just accuse him of doing? Blaspheming against God. And he's saying, no, no, no. You resist the Holy Spirit. He says, as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? Okay, so they had just charged Stephen with blasphemous words against Moses and God and the temple. And in his defense, he tells him, your family story is one of rejecting God, and here you are doing it again. And he says in verses 52 and 53, And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, he's talking about Jesus, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. 
You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Uh, He's saying your incessant rejection of God led to you totally missing the Messiah. He was here and you missed him. The rescuer of God's people. And you didn't actually just miss him. You betrayed him and you murdered him. It's, it's easy to hear Stephen's defense be like, yeah, come on. Guys, how can you miss this? And even now, if you open up the Old Testament and you read through the Old Testament and you see the rebellion of God's people and you're just like, what are you thinking? They just keep missing it. That's such a bad decision. Why do they do that that way? Um, think about these New Testament Jews who did not believe Many of them saw Jesus. They saw what he was doing. They saw his miracles. They heard his teaching. They felt what it was like to be around him, and they still missed him. They still rejected him. The ones who were most queued up to know the Messiah, many missed the Messiah. It's like watching a football game, and the kicker comes out to kick the extra point. Um, Kicking an extra point in football, it really is one of these deals where, like, you had one job. It's one of these scenarios where, like, you score a touchdown, you come out for the extra point, like, it, that needs to be a given to be a kicker, right? Like, you had one job, make the extra point. Uh, the Israelites, God old, God's Old Testament people, they were so, so trained in the stories of God rescuing and redeeming his people. It was such a pattern in their story that you could say that they had one job, right? Look for the rescuer. Recognize him when he comes. Uh, we know enough about our own history that we're, that we're going to rebel and we're going to need a rescuer. So God's going to send one to rescue us. And he's told us what this one's going to be like. So we need to be ready. We had one job to recognize the rescuer. Yet they missed him. And it's easy uh, to wonder why that happens. But the reality is that our hearts can be just as deceptive and blind. Think about your own life. Think about how often we choose Uh, Harsh words and retaliation in conflict and in arguments rather than love and gentleness. Uh, Think about how often we choose lust over purity. Think about how often we choose greed over generosity. Or comfort over service. Or judgment of others over mercy towards others. Uh, We have these categories. We've been teed up for them in the scriptures. We're trying to grow in these areas, and yet still we choose things outside of what God would have for us. Uh, Sometimes we sing the song, uh, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. Listen to a stanza from that song. It says, Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice. Call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. And so Stephen is looking at this Sanhedrin, this top religious council, and he's saying that you betrayed and murdered the Messiah. And what seems so preposterous to us to see in those who are accusing Stephen in our passage is actually at a root level something that we share in common with them. It was our sin that held him there until it was accomplished. That we played a role in that. 
Stephen, in his speech, tells him that he is not rejecting God, but they are actually rejecting God. What is the response? What is the response? The first thing we see is outrage. Verse 54. Now, when they heard these sayings, they were enraged. They ground their teeth at him. Physically responding. They're, they just can't take it. They're so angry with what he's saying. They're grinding their teeth together. Verse 57. But they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and rushed together at him. They just sort of went crazy. Enraged. And went after him. They absolutely lose it. Stephen just boldly and confrontationally told the highest religious council that rather than knowing the most about God, they've actually totally missed it and they don't really know God. And where does that outrage lead? It leads to persecution. Verse 58. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. Verse 60. Tells us that he fell asleep, which was a way of speaking about death during this time. That few chapters of scripture, that's a lot to see in a short amount of time in the life of Stephen. From having all of these spiritual gifts, being chosen to serve these widows. He continues preaching the good news, clearly very gifted. Clearly God's hand was on him, his spirit was moving through him. And he ends up before the Sanhedrin, defending his preaching, defending the good news of Jesus. And he's stoned to death. And the persecution doesn't actually stop with Stephen. Uh, Just after our passage, Acts um, 8 verse 1, it says, And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made a great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. All right, so this is now full-on persecution of those following Jesus. Why? For these Jewish people, their entire paradigm of life and belief had been challenged and threatened. Again, it's hard for us to get, get our minds around this. This was so a part of their way of life. And it was being directly challenged at the highest level. Uh, the things that they had based their lives on, things they had based their beliefs on, were being explained and propagated and growing in a way that they did not have categories for. And all of this could totally take away their current power and their current religious authority. And so they react with rage and persecution and try to shut it down. So their response is, is, their response is outrage and persecution but also kingdom growth. You may have noticed a familiar name mentioned at the end of our passage. Verse 58. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And later Acts 8.1 says, Saul approved of his execution. Acts 8.3, but Saul was ravaging the church. This is Saul who would later come to be known as Paul. And not long after this account would have this radical conversion and would become a follower of Jesus. And we'll talk about Paul's conversion in the weeks ahead. But here he is. Don't miss this. At the center of this stoning and persecution 
actively going after and trying to find followers of Jesus. Later in Acts, um, Paul is going to tell of his conversion story. And he actually recounts this very event. And he says, And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. Paul will later totally own this and repent of it as he comes to faith in Christ. And God miraculously rescues him and changes his heart. And what a window into the heart of God. That he chooses people who are leaders of persecuting Christians to become leaders of the church itself. Proclaiming the grace and mercy of Jesus and who would go on to write much of the New Testament that we have today. This is the kind of thing that God does. Uh, he saves really bad people and transforms them into really beautiful people. If you feel like a really bad person this morning, you're in good company because God loves bad people. And He loves to make us new. And we see that even in the life of Saul, who would become Paul. And there's more kingdom growth that comes from this persecution in our passage. I've already read it, but just after our passage, Acts 1.8, it says that this great persecution arose against the church and they were scattered throughout regions of Judea and Samaria. That should, should send alarm bells off in your mind. Acts 8 verse 4, now those who were scattered, what do they do? Went about preaching the word. So this persecution scatters them out. And then they start preaching in these new places. Remember the theme verse, Acts 8.1. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. What is God doing? God is using something as terrible and devastating of this, like the stoning of Stephen, the rising persecution of his people. He's using all of that to continue his kingdom mission of making all things new again. Bad things, hard things, even devastating things do not hinder God's work. Often it's in these devastating things which he is most at work. And where do we see this in a more pointed way than on the cross of Jesus Christ? Um, there's this pinnacle moment of God's redemption, the high point of the greatest evil and the greatest salvation Happening on the cross. And did you notice what Stephen said as he was dying? Verses 59 and 60. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Do you know the two things that Jesus prayed as he was on the cross? Forgiveness for those who crucified him. And that the Father would receive His Spirit that day. And the resurrection of Jesus out of the tomb shows us that persecution does not win. But Jesus wins. I saw a story um, this week about a volcano that erupted on the island of La Palma, which is in the Canary Islands. It was the first volcano eruption, I guess, in 50 years on this island. 
Lots of people had to be evacuated. But right in the path of this lava flow, which you don't want to be in the path of a lava flow, right in the path of this lava flow, um, there was a home. And they're calling this home the Miracle Home. Somehow, for some reason, all this hot molten lava, as it was coming right towards this house, it went around the house and did not touch it. And so the aerial view, you should look this up, the aerial view shows this field of like dark, nasty, molten lava. um, And then right in the middle of it is this little um, white house with a red roof and green trees around it that has not been touched. If you are in Jesus, if you have given your life to him, do you know that you are so safe and so secure that nothing can ultimately harm you? That it will all flow around you and you will be kept for all eternity. Now, this does not mean that you won't experience real suffering or even real persecution in this life. Actually, the scriptures tell us to expect the opposite. That as we follow Jesus, the suffering servant, so we should expect to share in his sufferings. But we also do so as as those who have real hope of our destiny of being made into fully restored and new people in this fully restored and new creation. And the great mystery and hope is that God is at work even in the devastating things that we face, making us into a new creation. And we see it on the cross. And that is what is on offer to us this morning. If you want this new life, if you want new life, not just now, but will sustain you for all eternity and will give you ultimate safety and security and protection Hide yourself in Jesus today. He offers himself to you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that in the midst of the bad news of our rebellion, you sent